you like to be seated? What a great, great morning already. We're so thrilled you're here. Thank you, Pastor Zach and your team for leading us so, so well. It's fun to hear you guys sing and to lift that up. Well, if you're new around here, my name's Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just wanted to pause and say thanks for being here today. I know on any given Sunday, we have a few dozen folks that are here for the first time. And oftentimes now I'm meeting folks that have come back after years of being somewhere else. And they, they're like, man, we just feel like we're home. So thanks for being here. If you don't mind, there's a little guest info card in the seat pocket right in front of you. We'd love to know that you're here today. And if there's any note you wanna jot on that, that we can help you get connected with whatever that question may be that you have. And then also on the back side of that card, it's a simple place for prayer requests. Every single week, our team pauses and we lift up prayer requests, uh, dozens of them every week. And so if there's anything that we can join you in praying for, we'd be honored uh, to be able to do that. So you just write it on the back of your card. Or if you're watching online, just drop us an email at prayer at sugarhillchurch.com, prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. And we'd be honored to join you in that. But as we continue in our time this morning, I wanna invite our team that's gonna help us to receive our offering. As they're making their way in place, Many of you were here last week, but if you weren't here last week, let me sort of catch you up. We're launching a brand new semester. In fact, when you look at the bulletin, you see that there's a lot of announcements of things coming up, but then you'll also notice we've got this big giant groups brochure in here. All of this signifies we're starting a brand new season within our church. And so it technically starts, our semester starts the Sunday after Labor Day. What we've learned is to let families get their kiddos settled in the month of August and then launch our adult groups uh, in September. But with all that being said, we wanna launch really, really well. There's many ministries that we feel committed to, that we feel called to. And honestly, it takes all of us doing our part financially. And so we did, we ran the numbers. And what we found is that even though attendance has been up all year, what we found on a giving standpoint is that honestly, every single week we've averaged about $1,600 less this year than we did each week last year. And so when you take $1,600 and you times that by 31 weeks that we're into now, you'll see there's a big gap between our budget and our giving. Now that's a big number. But when we broke that down, what we found is that if every single person and get this gathering and the 930 gathering and the Spanish gathering, if for the month of August, every single person in the room, not just families, but individuals in this room would just give $10 more per week than they would have given. So if you're gonna give $0, if you would say, hey, I'm gonna try giving $10. If you're gonna give $10, give $20. If you're gonna give $20, give $30. If you were gonna give $10,000, I don't know why it got really silent right there. Give $10,000 and $10, you see how that works. I, I say that jokingly, but I'm so committed to that when we give, what we're doing is we're funding the vision that God has given us. And so I wanna invite you uh, I, I firmly believe that this doesn't catch God off guard. God placed that vision within our church and he placed the provisions for that vision within our church. And so I just wanna invite you to be part of that today. So I'm gonna pray for us. And then if you've already given, thanks for doing that. But if you haven't given yet, would you consider being part of funding what God is doing here? Father, thank you so much for today. And just the reminder of how faithful you are. And even in awkward money talks like that, uh, we know that you provide everything, that everything we have comes from you. Everything we have is on loan from you. So I pray that you'd help us to be faithful and to give to the things that you've called us to. And God, I, I recognize there are some people that have never given before. God, would you give them the courage to just try it? Would you give them the courage to try it? And would you honor them in that? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, 
Amen. Amen. Well, as the Baptists are coming by, we're in this emphasis for the month of August called Becoming. I'm just curious, by show of hands, how many of y'all were in one of the breakout seminars during the 9.30 hour? Show of hands, show of hands. Give these people a hand real quick. Give them a hand. Thanks for jumping in, diving in. What I want to encourage you to do, so t- starting today, the next week, and the last Sunday of August, we're having breakout sessions. We're having seminars every single week. And so this is open for everybody. You don't have to previously have been part of a group. You don't even have to sign up ahead of time. All you have to do is show up. And so in this case, since you're here for 11, I want to invite you next Sunday morning to come at 9.30 and either go to the fellowship hall or go to the kids area downstairs because Pastor Tripp will be in one room talking uh, 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 with a great topic about family dynamics and what does that look like. And then I'm going to be talking about the holistic life of what God's doing, not just in spiritual life, but physical, emotional, relational, all of these different parts. And so I want to invite you, if you didn't do that today, Come next week and jump in during, to one of those seminars, one of those breakouts. If you missed it today, the good news is we recorded all of it. And so be on the lookout on social media. We'll be posting that. But you'll see in the tear-off uh, a mention of what is next week. We'd love for you to be part of it, to basically come for either 9.30 to a breakout and then 11 to our worship gathering or flip-flop it. We'd love for you for the month of August to do both of those. Well, if you have a Bible, if you have a device, go ahead and be finding Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We are talking about this idea of becoming, and here's the big idea when it comes to becoming. The big idea is this. God is far more concerned with who we're becoming than he is with what we're achieving. Let that sink in for a minute. God is far more concerned with who we're becoming than what we're achieving. So built into that premise is this idea that none of us have arrived. Nobody woke up this morning and said, man, I am God's gift to this earth. I'm perfect. I've got it all together. If you woke up and you said that, you're delusional. Can I be honest about that? So if that's you, would you suspend judgment for a couple weeks? Here's the idea that in our lives, none of us have arrived, none of us are there, none of us are perfected. Here's the big idea that if we're still breathing, and that's all of us in this room, all of you watching online, at least to this point, if you're still breathing, you're still becoming. If you're not dead, then God's not done with you. And the goal is that the longer we live, the more like Jesus we'd become. And so this week's question is, well, what are we becoming? What is it that we're becoming? That, that the hope is the longer we live, the more we'd shape and we'd mold and there would be this journey mindset that we'd never stop growing, we'd never stop morphing and becoming who God wants us to be. And this is such a big deal that there's a whole book in the Bible called Ephesians that was written to churches in a town called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was an important city in this ancient day. Ephesus, there's a lot going on. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was in that city. This is an, an important, important, important city. And there's a guy named Paul who had visited there at least twice in his lifetime. So Paul was radically changed by Jesus. His life was totally turned upside down. And so he visited at least twice this important city. And then later in his life, he's locked up in this dungeon of a jail cell in Rome because he was proclaiming the message of Jesus. And from that jail cell, he writes a letter to the churches that are there. 
And so when we dive into Ephesians chapter 4, we're reading the words of a prisoner who has been living for Jesus, following Jesus, and he's writing to them about who they're becoming. So if you have a Bible, if you have a device, I'm going to invite you to follow along. If you don't have that, uh, we'll have it on the screens as well. But listen to what this says. Listen to as Paul's writing. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 1, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. So this isn't figurative. He's in a jail cell. He's in a dungeon, basically. He's locked up and he's writing this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Verse 3, actually verse 2, with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there's one Spirit, just as we're called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And as Paul's writing, he's talking about who we're becoming. In fact, as he writes this, he says, walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Throughout scripture, you see this word walking. Throughout scripture, you see this imagery of walking and it's this idea of consistency. It's this idea that we're on this journey. It's this idea that we're meant to live it out, that you don't just learn to walk once and then you're done. None of us gave up after we stumbled a few times when we're just a little kiddo, right? Nobody, uh, none of us in this room, we gave up after trying once or twice, falling along the way. You keep doing it for the rest of your life. And so Paul's writing to them and he's talking about who they're becoming. Well, this morning, I just wanna take a couple minutes. I wanna intro this idea. I wanna encourage you to be back next week because Pastor Chuck's gonna talk about living on purpose from Ephesians 4, which is gonna be incredible. But as we dive into this this morning, I wanna suggest to you three things that God uses to shape who we're becoming three tools, three mechanisms that if we're on this journey, if we have not arrived, if we still have breath, then God's not done with us yet. How does he shape us into who we're supposed to be? This applies to every single one of us. If you're a brand new believer, this is a great week to be here to begin to say, I wanna be intentional on this. If you've been a follower of Christ for a long, long time to say, maybe I've sought out, maybe I've grown stagnant to say, I wanna keep moving forward. What are the three things that he uses? Well, the first one is this, as we're thinking about this idea of who or what we're becoming. Number one, if you have one of the handouts and you wanna write these down, number one, it is based on our calling. Who we're becoming at the very foundation is the call of God on our life. Another way of thinking about this is our identity in Jesus, our identity in Christ. And so here's one of the dangers. So we're going to be in Ephesians 4 all month long. One of the dangers of starting in chapter 4 is we'll forget what comes before it. But in Ephesians 4, if you look at verse 1, here's how he starts this out. He says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. Now let me pause there for a second. So you see one of the first words in chapter four is therefore. So whenever you see a therefore in scripture, what are you supposed to do? Somebody shout it out. Yeah, anytime you see a therefore in scripture, you're supposed to pause and ask the question, what's that therefore, therefore, because it's there for a reason, how much more repetitive, repetitive, repetitive can I be, right? 
But it's this big idea. It's this big comma in scripture. It's as if Paul's saying in chapter four, based on everything I've already said, everything I said in chapter one, everything I said in chapter two, everything I said in chapter three, based on all of that, then therefore, this is how you're supposed to live. Do you see how those are connected? And so he's talking about our calling. He's talking about our identity as if he's saying, remember back in Ephesians chapter one where I told you that you were saved by grace alone, that it wasn't your performance, it wasn't how good of a person you are, it wasn't how much you tithed, it wasn't how much you served, that you were saved by Jesus, by grace, by the favor of God, remember that? And it's almost like he says, and remember in chapter two, when I told you that when you were saved, you weren't just saved to something, but you were saved from something. You were saved from the bondage of sin. You were saved from the shackles and all the scars and screw ups and the mistakes you've made. You've been rescued from that. Remember that? And it's almost like he's saying, and remember what I said to you in chapter three, when I talked about this idea that now you have this new life that you're able to live it out. Remember those things, you're saved by grace alone. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Yet there's nothing you did to gain it. You were saved and rescued from your past mistakes, your mistakes, your sin, and you were saved to live this brand new life based on all of that. Live a life that is worthy of that calling. See, if we're going to become all that God wants us to be, that has to be the foundation. See, I, I realize when I was writing this talk, knowing this is where we we're gonna be this week, I wrestled with even in the point saying, based on your calling, because here, here's what I think is true. Whenever you hear that word calling, I think most people, they tune out at that point. I think most of the time when people think about calling, they think that's for somebody else. That's for Pastor Chuck, he's the pastor of the church. Or that's for Quran Boston. He was just ordained for the ministry. We feel like calling is some big grand thing that's for somebody else that if we're not careful, we don't think it's for us. And so for me to even start out by saying that it's based on your calling, some people click off because they don't feel called. In fact, I've told y'all before, um, one of the things I love is Laura works for an incredible uh, company. My wife works for this incredible company and they, anytime they have an excuse to get together and have like a corporate party and all this stuff, they'll do it, right? They, and so it's really fascinating. They've, they've got all their corporate people in the Atlanta area, then all their spouses or dates come to all of this. And it's a fascinating uh, thing to be in a room with all these high achievers. And so I'm telling you, sometimes calling feels awkward because when I'm in a room like that, everybody talks about, what you do, right? Everybody wants to know that essentially. People wanna know what you do. And so you're walking around this room and I'm walking around these, these gatherings where there's highly successful people, people that have bought and sold businesses, people that built something for nothing, that worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. And they're like, so what do you do, Bobby? And I'm like, um, I'm a pastor. That's sort of a, you know, that, that can be an awkward moment in the conversation, because you're at these things. Everybody's talking about what they do. Hey, I'm Jim, I'm a, a lawyer. Hey, I'm Joe, I'm a banker. Hey, I'm Bob, I'm a builder. And you know, everybody sort of has their... <laughs> I was just seeing who's awake right now. That's really... <laughs> but everybody talks about what they do. And, and, and that's even true this week. Uh, my grandmother, she's 90 years old, 90 years old. Elizabeth herself in Montgomery, Alabama. Here's a recent picture of us from a, a couple of months ago. Uh, but on Tuesday, she had a mild stroke. 
And so she was in the hospital Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then transferred to rehab facility um, for the next several weeks. And so we traveled over late, late, late Tuesday night, got there about midnight, and then hung out in the hospital room all day Wednesday, all day all day Thursday, and every single person that came in the room, my grandmother would introduce me. She said, this is my grandson, he's a minister. And they didn't know what to do with that. And honestly, I didn't know what to do with that. I don't know what she was expecting me to do, preach a little mini message? Am I supposed to pass the offering plate? I, I mean, I don't know. But sometimes there's this sense of calling that fills other. But if you're a note taker this morning, let me just sort of give you two versions of calling. If you're a note taker underneath that first point, A, there's a general calling for any person that knows Jesus, any person that has given their life to Christ, there's a calling on your life. I mean, that's what Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are all about. In fact, on the weekday podcast this week, we're going to be diving into some of that. that we just don't have time to do everything on Sunday morning. So I want to encourage you to go to weekdaypodcast.com this week to catch some of this. But again, in chapter one, you've been called, you've been rescued from sin. You've been placed into the family of God. Chapter two, you've been removed from your old patterns of living. You've been created for something brand new. Chapter three, there's something God has for you to do. That's for every single one of us. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what stage you are. It doesn't matter what your profession is. There's a general calling. And here at the end of the day, here's the general calling to become more like Jesus that every single day we're to become. So A, there's this general calling for everybody. And then B, there's a specific calling that the longer you walk with him, the more specific your calling becomes. There may be some point where you are called to ministry. There may be some point where you feel called to be a parent that shows the love of Jesus to a kiddo. There may be some point where you feel called to serve in some specific area. There may be some moment that you feel called to be a business leader that influences the people around you. I could go on and on and on and on but the calling A starts out generally for everybody. And the longer you walk with him, the more you know him, the more specific. So that's, that's where all this starts is number one, it is based on our calling. If you know Christ personally, there's a call in your life. Number two, if you're taking notes this morning, as we think about this idea of what are we becoming, number one, it's based on our calling, but then number two, it is shaped by our actions. Who we're becoming, what we're becoming is shaped by the actions that we take. And so as Paul's writing this, he says in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Verse 2, here's what this looks like, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. It's almost like Paul hits the pause button a little time out. And he says, based on chapter one, two, and three, based on this idea that there's a calling on your life, there's all of this stuff that God says is true about you. Now the other side of the scale is to live like it. As he begins to write this, he lists what this kind of life looks like. Let me just highlight a few of these. Look at that first word he says in verse two. He says, with all humility. Well, so many people have pride in their lives. So many people, especially in our Western mentality, look at what I've done, look how good I am, look how much more money I make than everybody else. No, 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 here's what Paul says, with all humility. 
Well, where does that humility come from? That humility, again, is founded in our calling. Our humility comes from the place that we recognize we didn't earn salvation, we didn't achieve it, we didn't, God's not grading on some sliding scale, some curve in our life that every single person on the planet starts out on the same playing field in need of a relationship with Jesus. When we recognize our calling, we realize I'm no better than anybody else. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. And because of that, we come from a place of humility. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus, when he was on this earth, could have played the card, hey, I'm God. But instead, he humbled himself even to the point of death. So that first word is so descriptive, humility. Look at the next word. Look at verse 2. He says, with all humility. And then the next word is gentleness. Gentleness. Again, this is a characteristic of walking worthy of this calling. Gentleness, honestly, is something that our culture doesn't value a lot. Our culture seems to elevate people that aren't gentle. Our culture tends to elevate people that are in your face or people that are bossy or whatever. And, And so if we're not careful, we think gentleness is weakness. We think gentleness is, is something for somebody that's more passive, but this word gentleness in the original language of Greek literally means that it's not weakness, it is power that is under control. The imagery is like a good medicine, a medicine that has all kinds of potential, a medicine that has all kinds of power that has to be administered in the right doses because the goal is not to hurt somebody, but to help them. The goal is not to overpower them, but to give them just the right dose so that health returns. That's what happens with humility. This is what David did in the Old Testament when all of David's men told him, hey, you should take out Saul. You should wipe him out. He's an evil king. You should kill him. David's response is, who am I to touch the head of the Lord's anointed? In other words, I'm coming from this humble place. I have nothing to prove. These are all characteristics. This is the shapes who we're becoming. Humility, gentleness. Look at the next word, patience. Patience. I'm not going to ask how many of you actually pray for patience because we know you're not supposed to do that, right? The moment you pray for it, everything goes wrong, right? Patience. Patience is the ability to suffer long under difficult circumstances. Patience comes, true biblical patience comes from this healthy place internally. It's different. See, some of us know how to show patience on the outside while we're raging on the inside. Do you know what I'm talking about? I told the first hour that, man, there are times that I may look patient on the outside, but I'm not actually patient on the inside when I'm tired or when I'm hungry. I get a little bit hangry. Can I be honest with that, about that? Are any of y'all with me on that? Do you ever get hangry? And so I'll, I'll be hangry and then I'll go to the grocery store and no matter how nice the people are around me, inside of me, I'm like, they're just a bunch of knuckleheads. I mean, I can't stand it when I've got like three items and I go to the speedy checkout line and it's supposed to be 10 items or less and the person in front of me has like 32 items. I can't, I'm like counting all of them for them and I'm like pointing to the sign and then I can't stand it after all 32 items are finally scanned, then they decide to pull out the checkbook and start writing. I'm like, hello, haven't you heard of a debit card? Right, that's not true patience, true patience is when we quit trying to micromanage all the pieces and parts of our life, or another way of thinking about it is when we quit trying to be in control of our lives and we take a step back and true patience 
begins to show up. Look at this next one. He says, bearing with one another in love. Do you see that? Bearing with one another in love. One way to think about this is to say, I'm going to make allowance for the faults and the failures of other people. What I've found is that it's so easy for us to point out the faults in somebody else while we overlook the faults in our own life. We get so riled up. We're like, I can't believe those people. I can't believe those people. While there's those same things and probably even worse in our own life. And so he says, bearing with one another in love, which means that we truly give them grace. We recognize that they are humans as well, that they're in process of becoming. So quit acting like I've got it all figured out and judging everybody else. See, these are the attitudes that Paul says come from a life of becoming, that it starts with this foundation of my identity, my calling in Christ. It leads to different actions and attitudes. It shapes the way that I live. And what I've found is so often what happens if we're not careful is we act like other people are flawed versions of ourselves. Now, let me let that sink in for a second. If we're not careful, we'll look at everybody else with contempt and we'll think of them as flawed versions of us where we think that our personality and our gifting and our wiring is the best one. And so if you're a perfectionist, you look around and when somebody makes a mistake, there's that internal pass or fail mentality that shows up. You're like, I can't believe those people, those messed up again. Or if you're wired to be more of a helper and you look around at the people around you and you're like, well, they, they're not receiving my help. I know what they need better than they know. And, and you feel overlooked and, and, and neglected. Or if you're wired to be a builder, you're wired to, you know, make a lot of money and, do, and, and work your way up the ladder. If you're not careful, you'll look at everybody else and say, man, they don't have the same ambition. They don't have the same drive. They're a flawed version of me. They need to get their act together. If you're more of a creative type and you're more, out, you know, more of a free thinker, if you're not careful, you'll look around and be like, man, they're just wound too tight. They need to loosen up. Or if you are a thinker, you're like, man, they, everybody just needs to slow down and process. Or if you're one of these people that's all about, re man, you can go on and on and on and on and think that the way that you're wired is the way that everybody else should be wired. And Paul's reminding us that we need to be patient. We need to be long-suffering. We need to be gentle. We need to recognize our actions shape who we're becoming. Do you see that? So number one, it starts with our calling. Who are we called to be? What is our position, our identity in Christ? Number two, it's shaped by the actions that we take. And here's the last one. Number three, if you're taking notes, who we're becoming is connected to other people. Who we're becoming is connected to other people. And this is a big way of saying we need everybody. In fact, if you're taking notes underneath that third point, let me tell you why this is so, so important. A, it's because we desperately need each other. We desperately need each other. Nobody has arrived, nobody has it all together. We need each other. And so my grandmother's an example of this. Uh, throughout scripture, the imagery of the church is never about a building, it's never about a program. The imagery throughout scripture is the church is made up of people and more often than not in the New Testament, the church is described as a body. And it's this idea that everybody needs all of the parts of the body functioning properly for the body to be healthy. And so when one part of the body is unhealthy, it, 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 it's a drag on the rest of the body. So in my grandmother's case, there's a small part of her brain that was affected by the stroke. And fortunately, it was a light stroke. Fortunately, she doesn't have a lot of ongoing damage, but she's definitely a little bit weaker on the left side. She's lacking some coordination on the left side. When something, when one part of your body does something that's not meant to do, 
the rest of the body is affected. We desperately need each other. We need people of different personality types, different giftings, different wirings to help shape us into who God wants us to be. A, we desperately need each other. B, the world needs to see God's love. The world needs to see God's love. When Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four, and he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, it's as if he's calling back to the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, that we would be one just as Jesus and the father are one so that the world will know that God sent him. See, one of the litmus tests of the world seeing that God is real is not by us saying God loves you, but by us showing what that kind of love looks like. We desperately need it need each other. B, the world needs to see God's love and C, we can do infinitely more together. Listen to what Paul says as he's writing this. He says in verse 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. To maintain it, not create it. It's already there. At the moment of salvation, God places unity with inside of us. It's not the same thing as uniformity. It is uniqueness that complements one another. He says maintain it because one of the greatest threats on the church today is disunity. I think the enemy knows that if a church is unified around the mission of God, the calling of God, the dream of God, that a unified church really is an unstoppable force in this world. And so the enemy doesn't want the church to progress. The enemy doesn't want the good news to be preached. The enemy doesn't want poverty in our community to be eliminated. The enemy doesn't want us to help drop the dropout rate in our community. The enemy doesn't want us to help 90 plus families every year with care for AIDS. The enemy doesn't want any of that stuff. And so one of the greatest weapons is to bring disunity within the body where we begin to treat other people as the enemy and we forget that people aren't the enemy church members aren't the enemy. The church down the road is not the enemy. We're called to do this together. In fact, here's what he says as as you're reading chapter four. He says in verse five, there is one hope. There is one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father over all who is over all things. Could it be that there are more things that unite us than there are things that divide us? Could it be that we've bought into what what the world says too easily where the enemy tries to put everybody in categories and, and the world tries to cause us to look at other people, us versus them, this binary thinking. When Paul's writing and he's talking about who we're becoming, it's like who you're becoming is connected to the people around you. And instead of looking at everything that you have different than them, be reminded that in Christ, you have one body, you have one spirit, you have one hope, you have one Lord, you have one faith, you have one baptism, you have one God. And as he's writing this, he's like, man, when you come together and you maintain that unity, it is unbelievable what you can accomplish with Christ working through you. And so today, I want to encourage you. I want to invite you. Would you take a step in this week? Would you take a step in for the rest of this month? Instead of focusing so much on what you're doing on the outside, would you say, God, would you look on the inside of me? God, would you look in my heart? Because God, I know you're more concerned about who I'm becoming than what it is I'm doing. And I want to invite you over these next couple weeks, would you commit at least just for the next two weeks, would you come for both hours? 
Would you come at 9.30 and jump into one of the breakout sessions? And then would you come in here at 11? Would you be part of this? Would you, during the weekday, would you consider logging on to weekdaypodcast.com and saying, I want to drill in deeper. I want to do all I can to fuel who I'm becoming. Can I pray for you this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? As we pray together, I wonder if there's anybody this morning that would just say, Bobby, as you pray, pray for me. Um, I, I know I haven't arrived. I want to keep growing. I want to I wanna keep becoming who God wants me to be. You're like, that's me. That's just my posture. I want to grow. I want to be who God wants me to be. I want to be founded in that calling. I want to live that out in my actions. I want to embrace the people around me to be who God wants me to be. If that's you and you'd allow me to pray for you, would you just slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air. You're like, man, that's me. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can put your hands down. Let me ask a second question. Is there anybody this morning that would just say, Bobby, would you pray? Pray for me because I don't know that I know Jesus like that. I don't know that there's been a moment that I've been forgiven of my sins. I don't know that there's been a moment that I've been rescued like that. And you just be honest about it. You're like, man, I, I just don't know if I have that kind of calling, if I've lived that out. And you just say, Bobby, pray for me. I don't, I, I don't know if that's true. If that's you, and you'd allow me to pray for you. Would you do the same thing? Just slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air, so I know how to pray for you. Yeah. Anybody else? You just say, hey, I don't know if that's happened for me. Even if you're watching online, you can drop us a note at prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. If that's you, would you pray this part of the prayer with me? There's nothing magical about these words, but there's something powerful when it's connected to a heart that truly desires Him. Sounds something like this. I'll say it out loud. You can pray it in your head, in your heart, silently. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Help me to live for you. If that's you and you pray that for the very, very first time, man, I would love to know that. You can indicate it on one of the, the prayer cards in your seat. You can drop us an email, prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. You can swing by the meet and greet room, but I'd love to know that so we could give you some resources to help you know how to take next steps and to grow in that faith. But for the rest of us, if you're a believer, would you pray this part of the prayer with me in your head and your heart? Would you just say something along the lines of, dear Jesus, thank you for the calling you've placed on my life. Thank you for the richness of your blessings. Help me to live differently based on what you said is true about me. Help me to not grow stagnant or stale in my faith. Help me to keep becoming who you want me to be. In just a moment, I'm gonna finish praying. As soon as I finish praying, I'm gonna ask before you leave, before you head out of here, Pastor Zach and the team's gonna lead us. I wanna encourage you, would you allow these words to be a prayer? Would you allow these words to be a confession? 
Would you allow these words to resonate? That God's not done with us, that God's not finished. He's working on the inside of us. Father, thank you again for today. I pray that you'd help us to become who you want us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing this morning. Would you allow these truths to drop out of your head and deep into your heart today? Promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hand. This is my confidence. Never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. incredible week. Let these words be an encouragement to you as you head out. Thanks for being here.